0: From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm doing great, Steve, and how are you still? I'm doing well. I'm glad that we're here with uh, another episode with R- Richard Mitchell, and I'm going to introduce him. He is the uh, Education Solutions Manager at Biamp. Welcome back, Richard.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, great, great day to have a good conversation about AV.
0: Excellent. And if, if you didn't catch it in our previous episode, uh, 71, uh, Richard uh, told us a little bit about his background as a listener and what drew him to the podcast. And we kind of got into um, a good amount of um, interesting discussions about uh, higher ed, which is both uh, a, a topic and a vertical that James and Richard are share and are both passionate about. So please, please check that out. And and uh, we we think that's a great episode for providing perspective to both those in and outside of that vertical. Um, Today, we're going to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, control and audio and how they intermix and, and the fact that some people say we're doing audio programming and some people say we're doing control programming, what that's all about. We've, we've touched on this on previous episodes before, but we figured we'd take the opportunity since Richard's here with us from BiAmp to, uh, to delve into that. But, but I think it's, it's a good uh, point of conversation because in my experience, um, audio DSP is more configuration than it is programming. And um, and we use that term configuration in other areas of the industry. So we're we're, we're always stuck with a lot of uh, terms that aren't always clear or aren't always unique. Um, James, I'll, I'll let you um, start, and then we'll we'll have um, Richard join in. Um, you know, in your experience, and um, and I know that you've you've said that you've had to dabble before in audio, but but what 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 is the difference between somebody who's doing audio programming versus somebody who's doing control programming?
2: So I, I would say control program. I, I, we got to get into what we always say and we keep talking is defining it. To me, programming is line code, You know, where you can really dive in and get into your hooks and make changes how you see fit. Because um, there's also control configuration out there as well. Uh, so I don't want that to be confused either. But I feel DSP or audio programming is really configuration. Because in my experience is you're, dro- you're dropping boxes onto a window and connecting virtual lines. And then you're loading that file onto your DSP. You're not really writing lines of code. Now, I know some have advanced features that you can create your if thens and your I.O. Uh, uh, actions. But the the bulk of it, the heart of the DSP is really you, you're taking your, you know, your ins your, to your outs and you're processing it. You're putting your gates in. You're putting your compressor, your limiters, your EQs, uh, you know. There's probably tons of other things out there that I don't even realize with the audio because every time I look in the audio, it gives 20 lines deep into (laughs) uh, audio just keeps growing so but yeah it's um, I really would say is uh, to me DSPs is configuring not programming but that's the way I take it
1: I would actually agree with you completely. I think, honestly, I'm going to throw a bit of a kind of a curveball with uh, the programming side of things. I think programming is the line code, and then the kind of the base level is uh, configuring. But in the middle there, there's scripting, which is, I think, it, you know, that's kind of the progression that most people make. They start with, you know, blocks or whatever it is, tying blocks together, and then they move up to adding some scripting in there and ultimately make the leap into just line code. Unfortunately, line code doesn't work very well with uh, you know, configuring audio solutions because <laughs> you know, it's it's just a much more challenging, much more real-time kind of environment as compared to traditional, you know, action, you know, input action kind of uh programming environment. So, um yeah, in my story with uh, you know, I was a classroom technician uh in a previous life and uh uh, my first foray into buying programming was uh, we we needed to get an, uh, a new audio signal into the USB output of a Tessera Forte unit. Uh, call the call the integrator. Unfortunately, they weren't available that day to make a, an immediate change. This is the days also before uh, remote access was really possible. So uh, I went to Biam's website. I downloaded the app. Uh, I had no business uh, downloading that app, but I did it anyway. Loaded the program. I watched a YouTube video, connected a couple of lines, and it did what I needed it to do and re-uploaded it. And, uh, you know, I saved the day. And I, the I loved that it was straightforward enough that I could get in there what Was I doing it perfectly right? Absolutely not. But I was able to go in, make a quick adjustment, re-upload a program in a matter of an hour. That's including the... And that was, again, where I kind of fell in love with DSP because uh, I would say before that, it was kind of this dark art of, you know, I can see the inputs, I can see the outputs, but I don't know what's really happening with ducking and EQ and all these other things that are built into this. So it gave me an appreciation for not only... Uh, I think a lot of, a lot of people in the AV industry have maybe a little bit of an imposter syndrome and, uh, I quickly realized I could do a lot more with that, uh, audio solution than I had anticipated, but yeah, it's, it's very much configuration. And I think that's a good thing because gee, it's, you can, you can have an individual that does not have a robust audio background, get in, kind of make a couple of subtle adjustments, but then if you wanna make a career out of it, you can absolutely do that where you are de- you are designing very elaborate multi-room uh, join, uh, divide type situations. I like to joke uh, our server class, it's the riverboat, the challenges of the riverboat, um, but it's it's very dense. And I like to equate it to like Photoshop. You can get into Photoshop, kind of use it quickly but then you can also completely make a career out of photoshop if if that's something you want. So, I just love the ability to get in there, make changes and then get out. But I think with a line code environment, you're not just jumping into line code and uh, you know, figuring it out in an hour. I think you're figuring it out over multiple years. So, yeah, I
2: I agree with that because I know my my first take on audio was my first did anything with audio? It was audio was there or it wasn't there other than that i didn't care <laughs> and then i had an event space that i had to do it was my first big audio project and i of course went to training on the product and actually funny enough there was someone else in the class who had the same take on audio of it's there or it's not there other than that they didn't care but that's where i started to learn the nuances of audio and like Richard said, getting in, I, I took this event space. That was a 20 different locations that two different podiums can plug into any of those 20 route audio, like all this different stuff. And I had it working. It was get in, get out type deal. And I still remember the first event we had in that room. I was listening. Our CIO was there and the audio kind of got a little crackly. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to dive into this a little more. And so I was talking to my, the CIO afterwards. I'm like, how do you think the event went? And he's like, oh, it went great. And I was like, okay, that's great. But I go, but when X got on a mic and got loud, it crackled a little bit. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, in the old system, when he got loud on the mic, couldn't hear a word he said. We'll take a crackle. I'm like, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I do see. You know, uh, I like to call it dongle madness. When I started out, you know, uh, in marketing and doing some videography, I had an elaborate set of a hundred dongles all connected uh, to make the sound say the kind of uh, feel the way I wanted it to sound. And then I started moving up toward more professional pieces of equipment that could simplify a lot of that into a DSP. So instead of me hauling out my 20 dongles to make everything connect the way I wanted, it was a USB cable or it was a balanced audio signal directly into my camera. And I just had to hit a preset and it was in a completely different mode. And it literally shaved days off of my life, or gave back days of my life, I should say, just being able to simplify everything into a DSP that just made complete sense. And honestly, if you looked at all those dongles, it probably cost as much as the DSP as well when it all came down to it. And it just simplified everything. And I could go in and tweak things, add little features, add gating, because there were so many events where, you know, panel discussion or whatever it may be. And it's like, gee, I wish I could, you know, mute all of these individual mics that when they're not talking. And of course, you know, they're, well, just put some gating in there, put some, you know, it's like, put some ducking in there. And it's like, uh, ah, ah, you don't know until you know. And, uh, audio, audio is just such a fast fascinating segment because again, uh, There are so many levels to it all the way up from like audio file all the way down to, hey, it's just an event and it's got to work very consistently. And we don't have a, you know, a high end audio engineer available every day for eight hours. We've got to get it into a system or a platform that can do this consistently. And sure, it may not be perfect every single time, but you're also not hiring uh, 400 audio engineers to, to manage classrooms or to manage, uh, you know, conference rooms, it's gotta have intelligence built into it. So again, I, uh, w- the DSP just frees you from having to, again, have the dongle madness. Uh, you can have the right connection to the right piece of equipment. It's just super flexible. Like again, higher education, it's like, oh, but we we're going to be adding uh, lecture capture in this room and we're going to have hearing assist and we're going to add this oh we want to do this you know really crazy thing where we want it fed over into another room or, and it's just like no problem we can do that it's not me getting a bunch of strange dongles or a thousand points of failure you've got one point of failure which is ideal when you're dealing with you know really advanced audio situations so
0: and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong because my background is in in the the uh, hands on uh av installation and design but my understanding is is that an audio dsp really is meant to replace some types of hardware solutions that allow you to connect things electronically rather than through wires per se or or chips and circuits so that that's also one of the reasons why it needs to be looked at in the way that it is and that it's uh, but but it's a good example i think of software being a uh, a replacement for hardware and adding extra value.
2: Yeah, that's the way I take it too. And now this is kind of to pop my head listening to Richard and some other things I know is I can also see how with audio side of things AI really taken over. Yeah. Um, what what do you? Because right now I'm using a piece of software on my computer that is doing a lot of um, noise cancellation i mean for example if i just switch over to my microphone so right now i'm on my main microphone and you guys heard that right so now if i go oops neck, sorry mouse if i go back to work so now i'm talking on the same mic all i'm doing is using software you guys hear that now now it canceled out the clap and it does a pretty good job that's all software ai and that's pretty cool and i can see ai really taking off in audio quicker than any other aspect of avi feel
1: yeah i, I would you know uh we we recently had Announce a sound bar that actually has that AI baked right into the bar itself, and you know you can't hear doors closing, chip bag noises, all the things that drive faculty members crazy. And I think it's, I think it, you're going to see it in software, but I think you're also going to see it just baked into hardware. And I think there, I think there's a good conversation to be had as to where hardware really excels. You know, software is more expensive uh, at the at the end of the day there is a cost associated with the software due to the support of it. You need a different type of person to operate a VM. you need a different type of person to uh, ha- that has those skills necessary to do something like that where a piece of hardware can be installed by an integrator or even an end user and they walk away and it can operate for 10 years. Hopefully, if it's on a safe part of the network, without <laughs> any intervention, and I think that's where you, you have to do a cost analysis of you know the complexity and where where hardware and software are beneficial to you because again a lot of the a lot of the classrooms I was designing it was we installed it once and we walked away and you know it would be. Two, three, four years sometimes before we had to go back in and touch it. If you're on a software platform, that may be true, but it may also not be true. And once you start getting into like even a VM needs to be the security needs to be updated on a frequent basis, the the layers, uh, you know, multiple layers involved with that. So uh I I definitely software, I see software being more and more relevant as we move forward, but I I still see a lot of situations where this piece of hardware that i purchased that i paid for once will last forever until it fails one day and there's still a big roi on some of that that is pretty beneficial
2: i agree okay. with you though. yeah yeah I, I understand what you're saying but i'm going to take this at the other angle of i almost kind of chop it up to a supermarket and hardware is kind of like going to the regular checkout of a supermarket where, yes, you have your technician who handles the hardware. They're normally lower paying. And then you go into self checkout, and that's where I get into the software and VM. Yeah, okay, you did away with that checkout person. You have one person now managing multiple areas. But you can pay that person more because they need a higher skill. As we talked in the last episode, we need to bring AV up to a true IT paid scale and think about how a web developer might be running 500 clients' websites from their desk. They're not getting up and going to 500 different clients' buildings. They're, you're paying one person and you're getting a larger scale off of that one person normally. Yes, hardware is definitely going to give you a long-term ROI. I think software going to give you more leverage and more scalability and quicker turnaround. Like a piece of hardware fails. Now you got to pull that out, put it in, and a new one in. Hopefully, they get it. We all know that supply chain right now. But we get the hardware in, load code, and go. If a VM fails, you spin up a new VM. You pull off from the backup you're up in an hour if that
1: and i i would agree to a certain but it's also a i think there's risk that you have to t- start having conversations about like when you start transitioning into let's say a, con- a, a control system a centralized control system running on a vm um you know if that vm goes down every classroom goes down and if you're on a university mm-hmm. with 500 classrooms you now went from having one isolated bad angry faculty member they're usually tenured faculty members (laughs) that get that are allowed to get the grumpiest but you you go from transitioning from one grumpy person to 300 grumpy people and so there again there's a there's a risk analysis that needs to be happening because even you know one of our tessera fortes could operate four or five rooms if you really wanted it to but it's a single point of failure where once you're once you get into the software environment, you, there is scale associated with it, but there is also risk. And if you have the right people, you can do it well. But I think, it, again, more in my segment than anywhere, there is, you know, there is a desire for maximum uptime and limited liability. And some, I, I think, so, the hardware is still very relevant with a lot oh, of those spaces.
2: I, I'm not giving you uh, disagreeing with you there because actually I ran that risk analysis probably about a year before I left my old uh, university because I was actually toying with the idea of moving a lot of the gear that we have locally in the classrooms to our IDFs. And because yep. all our areas tied back to an IDF, I'm like, Hey, this will make it easier working on. We can do scalability. Like I was really toying the idea. And I went like that. I go, okay, let's even go, it's using speakers and amplifiers. If I pulled all the speakers back to the IDF and ran off a bank of amplifiers, great. I can do audio overflows. I could do all that stuff. But yeah, if an amp goes down, I lose 10 classrooms instead of one. So yes, there is that risk. You do have to definitely be mindful of. Uh, Just like, again, going to supermarket when you have all those checkout lines, if you have self-checkout, if one of those goes down, you, you still have one person maintaining, got to try to get that up while also doing everything else. So, yes, you have risk involved. It's, you always got to weigh your options and see what's the best. But I agree.
1: I don't think hardware is going anywhere, but I definitely see software being more prevalent. And I would just add, you know, again, it gets back to the previous episode where we were having conversations about there's no one Size fits all for university segments. And I think one of the most upsetting things when salespeople would come to me is they would show some amazing device. And it's like, this is, I'm sure this is amazing from for some corporate environment, but this is not intended for my segment. Or you clearly don't have an appreciation for the challenges facing me in my current environment because this doesn't do anything I needed to do. I'm sure again this probably works wonderful in kind of a, you know, a corporate conference room, but don't try to shoehorn it into my classroom because it's just a different uh, segment that we're working with. You know, uh, I, I would say that the corporate segment in particular, people are a lot more respectful of the AV where in higher education, you get a lot of very curious, you know, uh, I think it's the a core uh, tenant of the university is to, you know, inspire creativity in, you know, uh, exploring thought. So unfortunately you get a lot of hands on your AV that you normally wouldn't uh, see in a corporate environment. But uh, yeah, it's I think it's just fine tuning what you need. And honestly, I see, uh, you know, longer term, I think you're going to see software and hardware balance out even more so than it is now. Um, but I, I still see a lot of situations where I've got an IT manager, I've got a entry level AV technician, And I just need a box that does this really great thing and that I can modify and just walk away from for, for a long time to come. Yeah. I I definitely see
0: that. Go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, as we wrap up, you know, one of the questions that I have does the challenge then become managing those boxes again, that's what we start to look at. So, so we we just shift, I think where the, the, the the hands-on is from locally to, Globally, or, or you know, looking at it from an enterprise perspective of saying, I have all these boxes now, and I have to make sure that I'm keeping them in good health and operational. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I would add like to that. To that point specifically, I think it's also the hardware manufacturers need to do a good job of offering up APIs that are available to the programmers in an open way. And I think that's one of the reasons I love BIAMP is I can SSH into one of our boxes, get just about any detail I need from that. And it's not a proprietary BIAMP net or some kind of configuration that you've got to work through us. It's just available to you. And I wish... I wish hardware manufacturers would embrace that a bit more and let integrators like both of you be integrators where you can pick the best solutions for you and, and deploy them as needed. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful, but sometimes I feel like it might be moving in the other direction with some, some people out there. So we'll see. Right.
2: Richard, I think you're speaking Steve's language, APIs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it's coming up so much these days, and, and I think that there's that uh, the, the difference between the closed platforms and the open platforms, as you just were alluding to, and then also being able to say, okay, I have this um, uh, ability to do something, now what do I do with it? So, ha- so having the API is step one, step two is now making that into something that adds value. Uh, which we, we we've talked about and love to continue talking about.
1: Yeah, and the the idea that you know some of these are now becoming kind of walled gardens is uh, you know it, it's something I I ponder quite frequently because you know even even requiring users to have usernames and passwords to get the software associated with the hardware. And you know, there's a kind of an you know, I would say a movement of individuals that are, that want hardware to just be hardware, and they don't want they don't want to be locked out because they they move to a different company or they they transitioned away from the industry for a short period of time. So I again, I wish more uh, we saw more open platforms, and I wish we saw more ways of integrating. And I think some people are doing it so well. But I'm also seeing, you know, seeing some transition in the AV segment where they really want they want the entire they want the entire thing, and I, I can appreciate their perspective. But as a integrator at heart individual, I like to be able to pick the cameras I want. I want. I like to be able to pick the DSP I want. I like to pick the control system I want, and have it all work together seamlessly. So hopefully, we're not becoming the minority, but uh, we will see.
0: I would say based on our our current state of the industry these days, we're we're starting to see a lot more interoperability or at least a push for it as you can uh, make sure that you can get the equipment that you need to satisfy your requirements and not be boxed into either one brand or one product. Uh, I think uh, to me, that's a sign of the times right now. Yeah. Probably a good place for us to stop. And uh, Richard, it's been great speaking with you over the past couple of episodes, and we'd love to have you back. Um, how can people get in touch with you, find out more what you're up to, and uh, learn more about Biamp?
1: Sure. Um, you know, Richard uh, at Biamp.com. Please feel free to send me an email. I am also very active on LinkedIn, so if you ever want to chat with me, that's a quick way to get a hold of me. Biamp, Biamp.com. Uh, uh, just a, also a quick plug for our uh, our IT documentation. Uh, Cornerstone is amazing. If you've ever had a question, it's probably been answered a hundred times there. But I'll even ask our engineers questions, and they quickly link to Keyster, those articles in there. So uh, that's how you get a hold of us.
0: Excellent. And James, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about the, all the content you're producing? Oh uh, Yeah,
2: I'm on Twitter, AV underscore James King. So find me Sunday morning on AV in the a.m. LinkedIn, but I'm not very active on there. Um, right for the higher ed digital magazine, IT and AV column. I member Hetma on the AV like podcast that comes out weekly. I'm sure you Google me. You'll find me.
0: <laughs> and for me, uh, only the good stuff there, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, for me, you could find me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. You can uh, find me on AV and the AM on Sunday mornings. That's a great place. And we've connected with uh, a few listeners and love uh, that conversation. Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are the places that I spend the most time on on social media. Writing wise, I write for my company blog at controlconcepts.net, as well as AV Network and Commercial Integrator, and uh, also the uh, other control podcasts that I do call the state of control on avnation.tv, which I can't ever forget about with my partner, uh, Rich Frigoza. Um And that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.